You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, just want to let you know again about the 2015 Net Awards. This is their 16th year. They've got a brand new category called Podcast of the Year. Head over to thenetawards.com and nominate Revision Path for the Podcast of the Year category. Show the design community about the great work that we're doing here, showcasing and interviewing all these great folks. Um, I'll also put a link to it in the show notes. Nominations end on April 19th. Revision Path is sponsored by three amazing companies, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for thousands of entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every single day. If you need some help getting your email marketing efforts off the ground, MailChimp now has a free course on Skillshare. It's titled Getting Started with Email Marketing. What else? Um, And it'll help you learn the basics. It's a really great course. Go to Skillshare, search for MailChimp to enroll in the course. And when you're done, sign up for a free MailChimp account at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code SPREADLOVE and save 10% off your purchase. And if you add Hovermail to your order, you can save $10 off that too. That offer expires on April 30th. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a new selection of free goods every Monday, today's Monday, and they've got great bundle promotions every month. The April Big Bundle's going on right now, 76 products worth over $1,200. You can get it for just $39. There's brushes, there's fonts, there's a whole bunch of great stuff there. But that offer ends tomorrow, so you need to head over to creativemarket.com, jump on that. Now let's get on with the show. This week, I talked with Gabriel Mays, founder and CEO of Just Add Content. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Gabriel Mays. I'm the founder of Just Add Content and the CEO of Realty Motor. I want to talk about both of these, particularly Just Add Content, but tell me about Realty Motor. How'd you get the idea for that? How'd you get that started? Well, Realty Motor is a little more recent. A friend of mine who's been in real estate for about 10 years he saw my work at uh, Just Had Content, what I built there, and he wanted to build something similar for real estate professionals, and he uh, approached me on it. So what Realty Motor is, it's a lead generation platform for real estate professionals, mostly investors, where they can get a website, content, and an email marketing platform all in one. That's what Realty Motor is. And you say this was built off of the Just Add Content model, so kind of tell me what that's about. It sounds like it's sort of an all-in-one type of a, a business platform, is that what it is? Right. Just had content. It's a website builder that's built uh, completely on WordPress. The goal is to to give small business owners a um, mobile responsive website where they don't have to worry about anything except just adding their own content. Other website builders like either Weebly, Squarespace, Wix, what have you, they'll say that they're the easiest way to build a website. Well, I consider just had content the easiest way to get a website. We don't want the business to worry about anything else, uh, design or anything. They just sign up. Just that content. Exactly. In 60 seconds, <laughs> um, they have a website and they just plug in their content. Uh, they're fully mobile responsive, uh, SEO optimized. They integrate with hundreds of apps to, to make it easy to automate uh, different tasks. Like, for example, a plumber, um, if someone comes to their website and uh, requests work, it'll automatically create an invoice in FreshBooks, add them to their CRM, subscribe to their mailing list, all that stuff so they don't have to worry about it. They kind of help them automate their business. And you say this is all just built on, on WordPress, right? Right. WordPress, um, a lot of other open source stuff, some stuff that I wrote. It's just kind of an amalgamation of stuff. All the things that kind of make sense right there. And the, kind of the goal is there's a lot of crappy websites out there. And I just kind of mm-hmm. wanted to raise the bar. So if someone you can't you never replace a professional designer, but if you just want to get started and, and something for your small business that's affordable and no hidden costs, I mean, that's what just got at Conan is. I find it really, really interesting that this is all kind of built on WordPress. I'm taking a look uh, at the website now. Why did you decide to go with that platform instead of just kind of building it from scratch? I feel like with a lot of these types of things, that's the, I don't want to say that's the preferred path, but I feel like that's the path people take. And you just built it right off of WordPress. Why did you decide to go that route? 
Well, I don't have a background in uh, in tech. I spent eight years in the Marine Corps and kind of just, I started working with WordPress when I was in grad school. I needed to build a website for my thesis and I started fooling around with WordPress. I kind of got the bug and I love building things. So I started making kind of small apps with it and stuff. And then when I was in Afghanistan, I kind of got the idea. I saw a lot of websites out there and I thought I can automate a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of inefficiency in web design. And I just saw WordPress as a tool to kind of automate all that kind of low-end stuff and and why build it if it's already there? It just made sense. It's just, <laughs> why? I, just, I don't get why you would build something that's kind of already there. And if something, if WordPress doesn't have something, just build it. It's code. You can do anything with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like why reinvent the wheel if it's already, already there? Exactly. I have to ask this because I'm a designer. So this kind of thing can sometimes kind of go against the work that we do because we're trying to build these great custom types of of experiences and just that content is like add your content boom you've got a site i feel like that's a a dilemma that some designers have they feel like they're competing with these types of services but tell me kind of what's the type of market for a service like this well first of all i want to say that they should feel in competition with it because if i can do something automatically and you're worried about that then you probably don't have much to offer in the first place i kind of want to raise (laughs) that bar that's how i feel Uh about it if you're worried about me as an automated thing, I don't have a background in design, then what else do you have to offer? You know, I think real designers have nothing to worry about. But back to your question, I think some small businesses, they don't know what they want. And they'll go pay somebody $2,000, maybe more, maybe a bit less for something that they don't know if that's what they need. I see just had content as kind of like an entry level thing. They can sign up for a 69 bucks a month and they get everything they need. Um, if they want to redesign the website, change the design, it's only 99 bucks. I mean, it's kind of training wheels. There's not a whole lot of risk. It's everything they need to get started. And later, if they want to upgrade to a, a professional custom designer, they can. I agree with that, what you said. If you feel like those kind of services are, if you feel like that's your competition, then you are you maybe need to step your game up. I totally get well, that. I have a question for you real quick. As a, prof- okay. as a professional designer, what do you think about website builders? <laughs> but, like, honestly, you know, because I'm kind of curious about that. Okay. I've posted yeah. some stuff before on, on WordPress forums, and all I get is criticism. You know, I'm thinking, like, why? What are you afraid of? So, like, from professional designer, that's your livelihood. Like, what do you think about them? Do you think they're useful? Do you think they're not useful? So, I mean, I'll put it like this, and it really depends, I think, on the designer and the value that you put forth. Like, if the value that you're putting forth is just in your tools, like, if you're like, I'm a whiz in Photoshop or I'm great with Dreamweaver, or what have you, if your value is strictly in your tools, then yeah, an automated site builder is probably going to beat you out every single time. I totally get that. I think there's a market for it. I really do. It's so funny you mentioned that because I've been working with a (laughs) developer in California on setting up. He's set up kind of a similar type of thing to this. Mm -hmm. I think yours is a lot more automated than what he's doing. But there is a market because you will get businesses that they don't really know what they want. They have a a pretty small budget. They know that they want and need a web presence. But if you really try to take them through like what your design process is and really like run them through all the steps, they're going to like clock out. They're going to be like, you know what? I'm good. This is too much. I just need a website. There are many people that are just like, I just need a website. They don't want all of the other process and stuff and things that go with it. They just need to put something up really quickly without a whole lot of muss and fuss. I totally get that. And that is a viable market. Well, totally. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about. So as a web designer, let me run it by you. One of the things I was thinking about with Just Add Content is making it more of a tool for web designers also. So, you know, when you design a website, there's a lot of stuff that you have to do, like groundwork. Yeah. Where Just Add Content could be like the starting platform. So you don't have to say no to the cheap $500 client. You could just get them a, a Just Add Content website, customize it a bit, and then give them that website where just that content would manage the hosting, the basic customer support, all that kind of stuff. And you would get maybe 20 bucks a month, like 20% of whatever that monthly subscription is. Would that be useful to designers, do you think? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Doing an affiliate kind of thing like this, because I think that would be good because what it does is you end up not turning away that lower tier of clients. You can still kind of communicate your value and what it is you do through a number of different ways that you market your business, if it's webinars or, or what have you. And you can still kind of market to those high price, high ticket customers that you want, but not turn away the lower ones because they don't fit within like a particular minimum price point. I think something like that would be really good because I work with a lot of nonprofits mm-hmm. and they need, they need help. They don't have large budgets. 
but they need that kind of help or maybe that kind of process to really build something that's going to like drive donations and get people to learn more about their cause. And yeah, and if they come to me and I have a proposal and I'm like, okay, what you need is probably going to be five thousand dollars and they don't have that i don't want to turn them necessarily away if they came to me you know what i mean yeah and also you know all big businesses started as small businesses you know you can give these guys a cheap 500 hundred dollar website and then later when they're ready to spend that five ten grand on a website they can come to come back to you since they're already with you you know yep upsell absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think design entrepreneurs can kind of do to create their own competitive advantage because it sounds like with just that content what you've done is you've you've kind of cut out the middleman between the client and the website process? Well, I think it's different for everyone. You have to really know what you're good at and kind of what gets you going. For me, it's, it's efficiency, and I'm kind of cutting out all the extra stuff and, and being very practical about things, which is why this made sense for me. If it's a designer, I would just ask you, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And just kind of focus on that one thing, because you can't market to everybody, whether it's you know nonprofits or, or bands. Just focus on that one thing and kind of build a brand around that one thing that you choose. And now, Just That Content's been around now for a little over over two years, is that right? Right, yeah, it was, it was kind of a side project for a while. Um, then I left the military to do it full-time. Okay, what's been the, the feedback that you've gotten from it? Um, it's been, like, what are your customers saying? Well, my customers love it. Most of the customers I have, I've had for about a year or so. The last year, I definitely put less time into it because I was working on Realty Motor, and there were, last year I had two kind of acquisition interests from larger companies, which definitely uh, acted as distractions. So I, you know, I'm kind of getting back to focusing on it now. It's been very impressive, uh, the reception. I, I was very surprised since I didn't have a background in any of this, how well it was received. So you had other companies that were interested in, in buying out or acquiring what you were doing with just ad content. Right. Yeah. Companies that are very interested in, in kind of moving towards the small business spectrum. They were interested in just ad content. I did, did demos for some VPs and things like that. And I didn't know much about the startup world. I, I should have known that they were maybe more wastes of time, you know, so I probably invested more time than I thought I should have. But, you know, you live and you learn. Right, right. When you say it was kind of a, a waste of time, you mean just, I, I'm assuming that none of it kind of ended up working out, but was it a waste of time, just all of the talking and the meeting? Because I feel that when we talk about black entrepreneurs and technology, for example, there's this large push towards building something that, of course, can make you a lot of money, but could also possibly be acquired. And with that, there's creating a pitch deck and pitching to investors and all this sort of stuff. And there are accelerators out there that can kind of guide you through that process and things like that. But you realize that maybe that's not what you want. Maybe that's not for you. Maybe that whole process is just like tiring. Yeah. I never actually built just a content with that in mind. I built it because I thought something like this should exist and I, and I really believed in it. Those things kind of just happened, and I was very naive. I thought when when the first one happened, I thought, "Hey, this is going to happen. Like, why wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, Are these guys say mm -hmm. that they're interested, so why wouldn't they be?" Um, I didn't understand that. That's kind of just all talk. So I spent maybe two months on the first one, and maybe another two months on the last one. But they were so close together that that kind of took up a lot of my year. And when you're looking forward to an opportunity like that, it kind of you don't have a lot of bandwidth for for other things. So I kind of wasted a lot of cycles thinking about that and planning on it and, and what if and things like that when I could have been uh, building my business. What would you say are some of the most important lessons that you've learned since you started, I guess, both Just Add Content and Realty Motor? I'd say focus on one thing. Uh, you have to focus. It's hard enough to build something that's successful. To, to kind of increase your chances, you have to focus on it. Like, um, you know, I guess some people would call me boring, but, you know, uh, a lot of people have different hobbies and interests where I, I don't. My business is what I'm most interested in. I did this all day, every day. I love what I do. I just focus on it completely. If I'm not with my wife, I'm working on my business or I'm at the gym. That's, those are the three areas you can find me. What are the next steps of growth uh, for these businesses? Well, Realty Motor, we just launched that in the last few weeks. The reception has been very, very good. So we're, okay. we're kind of scaling that right now. I'm more of the CTO, so my business partner, he's the marketing guy. He's pushing on that now, so that's why I'm focusing back on just head content. But with just that uh -huh. content, I'm kind of deciding whether I want to go after designers like we talked about earlier or whether I want to kind of focus on um, niches like, you know, plumbers, accountants, because it's, it's hard to market to everybody. So I'm thinking about focusing on individual niches. I'm thinking about focusing on more on the integrations that I also kind of talked about. Uh, there's, I haven't really decided yet, but there's a lot of directions I could go with it. Yeah, I think going for designers would be, I think, a pretty good way. If I think it depends on the type of designers. Like, say, if you, you talk to designers and say, hey, do you have like 
an old HTML template or something laying around. Convert that to a WordPress theme, use it on the Just Add content platform, and then, I don't know, every customer that uses your theme, you get a little chunk of money from that or percentage or something like that. Yeah, no, that's, that's good because, you know, like I said, I've never been a designer. So this is, I have no idea how to approach it. So this is mm-hmm. good. The way Just Add content works, the way it's kind of efficient, I, everything is, every theme is built on the Genesis framework. The reason I do it that way is just so I don't have to do code review on everything. Okay, this, yeah. This is a known quantity. The way it works is there's definitely some very fixed things that I use. So I'd have to kind of work with designers to see if, if that works for them also. There are some WordPress designers that only work with uh, Genesis. So I think that Studio Press is, the, is the, the company, I think, that owns Genesis. They may have like a directory of designers that create themes. So that might be a place to start. Yeah, it's definitely something to look into because, you know, I'm just I've never been a designer. So there's a lot I don't know about how they work. But it's yeah. definitely something I'm going to start looking into. One thing about designers, that I, it may just be me, I don't know, but a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we build that just doesn't see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Maybe we've done it for a client, the client backed out the project. Maybe it's an old version of a site that might still be useful for another business, but we just don't have it out there. Like, it's not a portfolio piece. Uh-huh. So I feel like there's probably designers, like, I, I mean, for me, I've probably got about maybe about 75 or so websites that are just like in a folder on a hard drive collecting dust that I haven't touched in probably <laughs> well over five years. That if I maybe put some time into it, I could convert them to small WordPress themes or something. But for me, it hasn't even been something I thought about because I'm like, I don't know the client that would necessarily need that. The ones that I'm trying to attract are usually the higher ticket ones. So Yeah, I guess my main value proposition to designers would be a quicker startup time, no support. For example, after they launch the client's site, the client comes to us for customer support, how do I use my website, reset my password, uh-huh. whatever. We kind of maintain all of that so they don't have to... I don't think designers typically gain money on that kind of thing. They lose money on support. Um, oh, absolutely. And the last one would be recurring income. So you have some kind of recurring income between those big projects where you get paid for the project, but then you get 20 30% of whatever we charge monthly for each customer you f- refer. So that'd be the value proposition in it. The part about you all doing the customer support is that's the selling point, I think, for probably a lot of designers because we just want to design. We don't necessarily want to do a bunch of phone calls and send off a bunch of emails. We want to spend our time creating, not doing clerical work. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we like the website would be free during the whole design process. So then customer just starts paying for it once they kind of take over, take over for it. Kind of like Flywheel does it, I guess. Something similar mm-hmm. to that. So, yeah. Nice, nice. So you mentioned you were in the military. I didn't say this earlier, but thank you for your service. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, people say that a lot, but it's just, it was an honor to serve, you know, and um, America makes it easy to serve, you know, so it's, um, I consider it a privilege, really. How was the transition kind of going from the military to the private sector? You mentioned that you, you quit the military so you could focus more on your business. Yeah, it, it was kind of hard, more on the personal side, because I was in the Marine Corps, I was a, a captain. Uh, for eight years, I, I absolutely loved it. Six months before I decided to, to leave the Marine Corps, I was sure that I would stay till 20 years because I, I really loved it. My wife, uh, she's still an active duty Marine. I just really loved it, but I just, my heart drew me towards building products and building stuff, you know? So it was, it was really hard to decide to leave the Marine Corps. But once I had done it, it wasn't difficult at all because in the Marine Corps, like discipline is everything and execution and just kind of making things happen. And that's exactly what business is. Um, so it wasn't too hard of a transition, especially since I work at home. That was actually going to be my next question. <laughs> like, how did working in the military kind of prepare you for entrepreneurship? And it looks like discipline is the main thing that it really instilled in you. Yeah, well, also, the Marine Corps is one of the smallest branches, and we have one of the smallest budgets. But you have to do a lot with that. So a lot of the Marine Corps is just kind of figuring things out, just make it happen. And especially, uh, you know, when I was in the Marine Corps, two of my years I spent between Iraq and Afghanistan, a year in Iraq and a year in Afghanistan on very small teams. We were living with the Afghans, with the Iraqis, training them, going on missions, all that kind of stuff. Um, we were kind of alone and unafraid, and we just had to make things happen. And just that ability to kind of thrive in, a, in chaos and just, mm-hmm. just execute, I mean, it's, it's the perfect training for a business. So right now you're juggling these founder roles at two businesses, two related businesses, that is. But how do you kind of balance all that? What's a typical day like for you? It really depends. Just had content is kind of, it's my main focus, but it's less of a concern. Because right now with the launch of Realty Motor, we have a lot of customer onboarding. And we have a customer support guy. He's pretty good. But he, there's still some things that he doesn't really, he's not familiar with. So I have to mm-hmm. kind of jump on those things uh, if fires come up. So my 
I typically wake up and I look at the support tickets and see if he needs any help. And then if he doesn't, I just kind of focus on just that content. And it's kind of just bouncing between them. Since a lot of their code bases are the same, it's not too difficult to manage both of them. And mentally switching between both contexts isn't too difficult either. So it's, I mean, it's really not hard. I don't know what to say. It's, it's not that hard. I enjoy it because it keeps things fresh. So you make it sound so easy. You're like, oh, it's not that hard. I just wake up, answer a bunch of tickets. <laughs> well, well, it's kind of hard to say, but my wife and I, I take finance seriously. I pay a lot uh-huh. of attention to money management and investing and things like that. So before I left the military, uh, we were very financially secure because we're very frugal. So I don't have the constant pressure of, am I going to be able to make rent next month? So I'm very calm about things and I can think yeah. long term. Uh, so I think that kind of plays a large part in, in how I feel about this kind of stuff. It's up and to the right. And that's all I have to focus on. You know, I don't have to worry about any kind of uh, short term uh, concerns like that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned that part about finance, because I know that there are a lot of, of black entrepreneurs that are out there that, you know, they may have a good idea. They may be working and, and building it. And and funding kind of seems to be that key that prevents them from really taking it maybe from a hobby to a business or even taking it from their current business to the next level. You know, that whole thing, which is why they try to secure funding. Maybe it's through a seed round with an investor or something like this. But you said you just kind of came into it with your own. So you basically started this, you bootstrapped it essentially. Yeah. And, and the thing is, growing up, you know, we weren't like in, impoverished, but we didn't have a lot uh-huh. of money. Money was always a concern. So it's always been important to me to not have to worry about money. So as soon as I started, I had a job and I started making money, I just started saving it and I started investing and just learning how to manage money and all that kind of stuff. And it really, it really paid off, especially during the, uh, you know, the financial thing we had in the last uh, five years or so. So when I left the Marine Corps, I made sure that we had no debt. We had some real estate that we invested in. We had some stocks, which you know I kind of managed because my master's degree is also in, in finance, which, which helps. Okay. But it's just, I didn't want to have to worry about that because when you're worried about money, it's just this whole, there's a lot of bandwidth that's kind of going towards worrying about that and you can't focus on doing your best work. You know, and a lot of mm-hmm. people, I guess the thing that kind of, a lot of people don't understand how important that is and and it's not really their fault because, you know, in school you learn, you know, who shot Abraham Lincoln, but not, you know, how to prevent foreclosure, you know, or, or her bankruptcy. Yeah. It's very important. Money drives everything. It's not the most important thing, but if you don't have money, it really matters. Um, a lot of us have been there. So that's why we should know better, I guess, and focus more on that. What keeps you motivated and inspired with all of this, this work that you're doing? I really enjoy it. I see the future and kind of what I'm doing. I want to build the future of how small businesses interact with websites, and I think I'm onto it. Like a, a small project that I'm working on is a free version of Just Add Content to compete with all the free website builders, which I probably mm-hmm. will need funding for because it's kind of an expensive thing. But I just see the future of business websites in a platform of like that, where it's just it's how businesses run their their business through their website, where they integrate with all these services. Um, I just see that as a future. I don't see how it couldn't be the future. Um, so I'm really excited about that, building it and making it happen. Now, you're in, in Pensacola, Florida. I've been to Pensacola because I'm from Alabama, so I know it's kind of right there on the border. Are you involved a lot in, in the local, I guess, tech and startup community? Is there a local tech and startup community there? Not really. There is a Wolf. It's called a West University of or University of Western Florida. It's right here. In the first few weeks that I came here, I went to Startup Pensacola, Startup Week in Pensacola. And that, uh-huh. was, that was pretty cool, but I haven't seen anything since. I don't think there's much of a startup scene. I really wish there was, like there was in San Diego where I, where I moved from. But I really wish there was more of one. Um, I'm kind of interested in starting one, but we live out on Perdido Key, which is kind of away from the city. Yeah, not as much as I wish there was. Now, both of the businesses that you had, and this is, I'm, I'm basing this off your LinkedIn profile, so if this is wrong, correct me. You started both of your businesses not in Pensacola. You kind of started them out west. I think Realty was in Austin. Just that content, you were in San Diego. Has it been a big shift kind of moving business. I mean, I know it's, you know, it's virtual, but in terms of, I guess, adoption rates and clientele and things like that, has it been hard kind of moving from the West, which I think we all think of as being very tech focused and and stuff like that in Austin, which has a big, huge booming startup scene to a small kind of Southern town like Pensacola? Uh, Yes, I know. I guess the uh, best part of being an online business is it's very easy to move your business. Yeah. But at the same time, when I was in San Diego, I was involved with the Chamber of Commerce there and I was on the e- Economic Development Committee and that would make it really easy to find new clients, you know. Out here, it's a lot different. I haven't really got out much just because uh, there's not many much to get out to. 
Uh, uh-huh. Maybe that's an excuse. I'm not sure, but it's, it's been a. I haven't gotten involved in the community as much as I'd want to. Mostly because I know we're leaving in about a year and a half since my wife's uh, still in the military. Oh, okay. Where are you going after after Pensacola? You think? I wish I knew. <laughs> you know, it's that's kind of thing. It's wherever she's stationed. Yep, wherever she gets stationed, you know. Well, that should keep things interesting. You never know where you're gonna go. You, I mean, that's gotta be somewhat exciting, I guess, but a little frightening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean, I'm used to it since I was in the military, also. But um, it, it is what it is. You know, you just gotta roll with it. You know. Okay. Well, hopefully, the next place that you end up will have you know kind of a more vibrant scene, a more vibrant startup scene or d- design scene that you can get involved with. Yeah, I'd really love to get back to San Diego. Unless uh, you know, we have our fingers crossed for that, but uh, we'll see what happens. Who have been some of the people that have kind of motivated you, like any mentors or anything like that? Well, I think the biggest mentor I've ever had was my mom. Um, she's amazing. Uh, her work ethic is where I learned a lot of my work ethic from. Unfortunately, my dad wasn't around you know, as much as I, I wish he would have. He uh, was when I was growing up. So my first real male mentors were other officers in the Marine Corps, senior officers. Because the Marine Corps is like a brotherhood. You know, you learn a lot from each other. They take care of each other. And I learned about investing, uh, communication, attention to detail while I was in the Marine Corps. And I consider that a huge uh, part of my success. Aside from that, really believe that you should surround yourself with the people who you want to be like, you know, which is kind of hard when you're not around the people who you want to be like. <laughs> so I did a lot of my learning through, you know, reading books, podcasts. To learn about the tech community, I listened to a podcast called TechZing. I know those two guys well now. I read Hacker, Hacker News a lot. Okay. Starters for the rest of us and other podcasts. Other than that, it's just kind of learning through those ways. I don't have too many other um, in-person mentors. That's one thing that I feel is is kind of, well, not kind of, it's certainly lacking, um, not just in the tech community. I think it's the tide is sort of starting to change in the tech community, but particularly in the design community. There's not that outreach from people that are working professionals now kind of reaching out and down to maybe smaller businesses or even students or things like that. And that can really sort of affect the longevity of this industry. <clears throat> When you don't have that, that type of active mentorship of, of reaching back out. Well, let me ask you this. I'm familiar with the tech community, like, you know, Hacker News and Silicon Valley and stuff like that. And the focus yeah. is on engineers. So there's been kind of this, this blossoming of engineers lately in appreciation form where, you, you know, for designers, you have like Airbnb, which was founded by three designers. Do you think there will ever be like a, a kind of boom in design like there kind of is with engineering? Hmm. Or, or what's holding that back or, or what could spark it? or anything like that? That's a good question. I think what's probably holding, like what's holding the design community back from being bigger. I think Maybe not bigger, but more appreciated also. Oh, but more appreciated. Okay. Well, definitely exposure, I think, is probably the main thing. When you think about, I mean, everything in this world has passed through some filter of design. I think when, when people think about design, they think of it as, something that has to be done on a computer with Photoshop or with some expensive software or something like that. But everything that we use in the world is designed. The chairs we sit in, the clothes we wear, the shoes we wear, the cars we drive, everything passes through some filter of design. So we're like extremely exposed to it, but we don't really know the process. We know that it's around and we know that it's there, but we don't really, I think, consider and think about the process to get from nothing to this particular object that's been designed, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That exposure is not really happening on a large enough level for people to really consider design, I think, as a career. I think there's something particularly for the black community that's the case. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would extend that, I think, overall. I think the black community in particular kind of may suffer from that. But certainly that exposure is what's important, to know that this is something that you can do this can be more than just a hobby if you like to draw or paint it's not just something you have to do in your spare time you can actually make money from it or you can take that design and apply it to other fields that you might be interested in so it's not necessarily that you have to be a fine artist you can be a package designer you can be a print designer you can be a footwear designer you know you can apply the lens of design through so many other professions and things like that that you can can do so Exposure is is what I think is kind of preventing design from being bigger. With that lack of exposure, I think comes a particular perception that design is is something that is kind of an elite field, Hmm. that it's only for a certain type or class of people. When you look at design conferences, when you look at design media, 
even if you look at trade associations like AIGA or something like that, the perception can be that design is only for like art school students in the New England area that went to MICA or SBA or something like that. It's not for me, this black child that grew up in rural Alabama. Like design is not for me. Design is for them. But that's a perception thing. And that perception is is eradicated through exposure, through exposure to the world of design and what you can do with it and things like that. That sort of kills that perception, like it nips it in the bud. Yeah, well, talking about perception, like, you know, I have a lot of respect for designers. Like the work they do, the way they see things, you know, I feel like I could never have it in that way. Uh, But it seems like design is like one of the most underappreciated things, you know, because like design is everywhere. I don't know if you ever heard that, uh, that little story about, you know, two fish swimming along. They, they pass an older fish. The older fish says, you know, how's the water? After a few minutes, uh, one fish says to the other fish, you know, what the hell is water? Where it's uh-huh. all around them. And like design yeah. is everywhere. The fact that you can use your web browser or your computer or your mouth, like everything, everything is designed. It's like if people just understood that, there would be so much more appreciation for design. It is everything. Yeah. I've heard that parable before. I have heard that. But yeah, designers, I mean... I think part of that is, and I <laughs> I don't want to say it's related to just ad content, but there are services out there, like I'll get questions from designers that want to know, how can I compete with 99designs or how can I compete with Fiverr or something like that, you know, where Fiverr is this website where you can basically get some tasks, including design tasks done, usually for $5. Like that's the bare minimum you can get something done for. So it's like if I can design a logo and, it, and I know what my process is and it's going to take me maybe a month to do, but it's going to cost this much. And the client's like, well, I can just go to Fiverr and get a logo for X, Y, Z. The perception that happens there is that the client thinks that your design is a commodity. Right. Like it's like they can go to the store and pick it up like they're getting a can of corn or something. They just see it as this singular thing, not the process that goes into it. And I mean, for the designer, it's part of how they market themselves and and things like that. But the client, the potential client, just sees what you do as like a thing. It's just a task. It's not something they don't understand why it has to cost this much. They just see the end product. I'll give you a good example. So I do, through my company, 318 Media, I do email newsletter templates. And it's only for MailChimp because I work with MailChimp. They're here in Atlanta. And so when I'm talking with the client, I guide them through the process of What's their list stuff like? What's their stats? And we try to build and get the template together to match what their content schedule is. Build them a template, install it, create a sample campaign, talk with them about how they can improve their open rates and things like that, whatever. Because of that, all of that is for a premium price. Mm -hmm. It's not super expensive, but it's not super cheap either. Right. So, And I get a fair amount of clients from that that understand kind of what that process is and what goes into it and know that they're not just getting a template. They're also getting kind of this training and this other stuff behind it. So I had a client that came to me recently, respective client. I was like, yeah, you know, I saw that you do templates and I want to know how much it costs. And I gave him the price and told him what goes into it. And then he's like, yeah. So I found this other website that can do it for like half of your cost in six days. Hmm. Can you price match? Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not Walmart, so I can't do that. But also, this was um, one of those places, it's not an automated thing, it's something basically where you give them a PSD, a Photoshop file, and I think they just like chop it up into a newsletter and they just give you a zip file. So they don't install it, they don't teach you how to use it or anything like that. And so when you're providing all this information to them, you need to be super exact in your brief about what has to do what and all this kind of stuff. So you need to kind of know what you're getting into. There has to be a certain learning curve before you can use a service like that because you're just getting one part of the puzzle. You're just getting the template. You're not getting all of the other work that goes before it or the, the installation and the training and stuff that goes after it. Cause he's like, well, they can, they said they'd be able to design it and do it within, within six days for a hundred dollars. Can you price match that? I was like, well, since time and money appear to be a factor, you should use them. Good luck on the project. I didn't even try to argue with them or anything like that. It was just my process can't be distilled down to like six days at a hundred bucks. I can't do that. Right. And you mentioned they see it as a commodity and I'll admit uh, part of it just had content. The goal is to commoditize that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> the thing is that 
a product like just had content or any kind of website automation tool can never replace the value that designers actually add, you know, like personalization, discovery, right. things like that. Um, but at the same time, those are things that a client just doesn't understand because like the work you do um, is a lot of expertise and, and like it's an art form and they just will never be able to grasp um, everything that goes into it. You know, they just think it's easy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the designer's job is to explain them and show them why it is so valuable kind of value that, that you add as, as a designer. Right. Because if you're not communicating your value and you just scoff at the client like, oh, I can't believe you would do X, Y, Z. Well, the client doesn't know that. Right. The client doesn't know what your whole process is. So you scoffing at them because they came to you with a lower price just kind of makes you look like a dick, quite honestly. The client's like, well, you know what? If that's how you're going to be about it, I'll just do the lower priced option. But I explain to this particular client, like our process is like we work with you and build this from the ground up. We're not just slapping a template together and passing it off to you. So that's why it takes a little bit longer. That's why it's a little bit more expensive. But what you get out of it is exactly what you're looking for. I didn't tell him this, but I knew that if he went with the lower price product with that particular service, it was going to be a lot more headaches down the line. Because I I could tell that he didn't really know what he wanted for the template, how he wanted it to really look. Mm -hmm. And so he's leaving that up. Basically, he's leaving it up to them to interpret it without really having that in-depth conversation about what their business goals are and how they can build it. It's just, what color should it be? Should it have one column or two column? Like it's, it is commoditizing it in a way. And I knew when that came up, I was like, yeah, well, good luck with the project. I just know that it's going to be a lot longer and a lot more expensive. You'll probably have to pay that lower price two or three times over because you're going to have to keep going back with stuff. Yeah. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do that. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, we've also had a lot of people that come to us and we just tell them, hey, you need a designer for this. We just, the way we work, we can't customize it in that way. You, you uh-huh. need a designer for this. So, I mean, there's definitely a role for designers. I just think, um, I think the designers that feel frustrated just need to find a way to, to kind of express that or just find the right clients because a lot of them are just, they're just too cheap. They're just too price sensitive, you know, and typically the cheapest clients are just, are the worst clients typically. Right. Um, where it's less of an issue for us because it's automated, but for a designer, I guess you're really wasting a lot of time on a, on a low-budget client. And also, depending on how on what your intake process is for leads and things like that, you know, the client doesn't know what this should be priced at. Right. They really don't have an idea. They have in mind what the end product should be. And so, yeah, they might have a particular budget, but they don't really have something in mind about how much it should cost. Like, for example, if some, if someone goes to a car lot and wants to buy a car, they've got in mind a certain range of what their car is going to be. If you go to a designer and say you need a website, like I'll have clients that will say, I need a website, how much will it cost? I cannot answer that question. (laughs) Because there's so many other variables that have to go into it for me to give you a quote, like how big is the site? How many pages? Is it e-commerce? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Does it need to be on WordPress? You know, there's so many, so much other things that have to go into it that's not just, I can't just give you a flat price like that's not fair to you and it sets both of us up for failure by doing that so they don't really have the idea of what it should cost so with services like a squarespace or like a just add content they're looking at the price they're like okay this much i can do this fine and granted there's probably a learning curve like you said you have the customer service so it's really up to the customer to really build it up themselves you're not really doing everything for them. I mean, they're adding the content and things like that, and you're doing some stuff with design, but it's not like a one-on-one relationship with a designer. Right, and just the kind of issue that you're talking about, tools like just had content commoditizing stuff, I deal with the same thing, because our prices start at $69 a month, where there's things like Weebly, which they have things for free, you know, and they say, well, yeah. what's the difference? It's like, well, we make your website load in under a second. You know, we have a 100% security guarantee. It's fully mobile, right. you know, we'll help you add a logo, you know, we'll help you do all these things, and so I think at every level you deal with that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of like a race to the bottom almost, you know? Yeah, um, and, and part of that is the clients. I mean, you can be explaining all that stuff, and they don't necessarily know. Yeah. If you're saying, oh, well, like I can tell clients, like, yeah, it's mobile responsive, and it's just that and the other. They're like, what, huh? I don't – I try to give it to them as simple as I can. Like you can view it on your iPhone. You can look at it on your tablet. Like I try to talk to them in their language because yeah. I feel like if you're just kind of spitting the jargon back at them, they're like, what? I don't know what that means, you know. Well, recently, what I kind of did to kind of avoid that is I just, I started a free trial. Now they can try it free for seven days. So it's just like, uh-huh. go try it. See if you like it. If you don't, that's fine. You know, because I have no problem telling customers that we're not right for you. 
you know, if you want a free one, there's plenty of free website builders out there. We're just not for you, you know? So that's kind of what the free trial has kind of helped with recently. If you weren't doing just that content and, you know, Realty Motor, what would you be doing? Would you still be in the military? Probably. I mean, I, I really love the Marine Corps. Um, I loved what I did. I loved uh, working with the Marines. I love, you know, I just loved everything about it. So if I hadn't discovered creating things in this way, I probably would still be in the military, yeah. Where do you see yourself like in the next, I guess, five years or so? I know you said you've only got about another year or so where you're at right now, but where do you see yourself like with your business and everything? Well, in the next 20 years, I still plan to be uh, working on uh, website builders in some way. I really love this industry. I love the idea of making website building more efficient for businesses, um, helping them make their businesses more efficient using online tools, you know, um, and integrating with services like FreshBooks and stuff. So I love my companies, but if, like my absolute dream job would be, um, have you ever used the Google Sites tool? Yeah. To build the second version of that that doesn't suck. <laughs> to build like like just had content, a free version of just had content that replaces Google Sites 2.0 because I think it would be perfect to integrate with a new Google domain service, Google My Business, all those tools they have. It would just mm-hmm. it would kill the market, you know. And it, that would be my dream job, just because I see so much opportunity there. So yeah, that that's where I see myself. I'm sure you're probably familiar with what's um, oh god, I, I read an article about it it's called the Mobile Geddon where Google is about to do this big overhaul of their search algorithm. It'll probably be around the time this interview comes out, around in April, where they're really placing more weight on responsive sites. Yes, I, I cannot wait for that to happen because all of our sites, <laughs> all of our sites past that with flying color, you know, they're all in HTML5. So I'm like, please, uh-huh. please let that happen, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's coming up. I think it's going to be around. I like, think. Oh, okay. Yeah, like around like mid-late April. So yeah. That is definitely coming up soon. Cannot wait. Well, just to kind of, I mean, wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you online? JustHeadContent.com, or they can email me at Gabe at JustHeadContent.com. But I do have a question for you uh, before we finish up. Uh, sure. Your best friends, the people who know you best, uh, what would they say that you're world class at? Like, what's your, your talent, your superpower, if you will? Oh, my God. What is my superpower? <laughs> well, the reason why is because, you know, I've listened to, to a lot of the interviews, uh-huh. and I'm just... I see the way you kind of come at this kind of stuff. And it, like you're an interesting person. I want to know what you think that you're world-class at. Because you know, you're probably good at a lot of things. But what would you know, your, your best people think that you are world-class? What do people come I, to you for? I think they would probably say it's my work ethic and I guess my creativity. Like I can always – like where I am right now, like I'm always thinking of the future. I'm a futurist in that respect. Like I'm always thinking of like – What's the next step or the next 10 steps, you know, from where I'm at right now? How can I order what I'm doing to get where I want to go? So my work ethic is usually pretty uh, tireless when it comes to stuff. I'm, I mean, I don't want to brag and boast about it. I really don't. I hate talking about myself in that respect. But I really am good at just kind of building stuff from scratch. Mm-hmm. Like I have an idea. I can sit down at my computer and in six hours it's on the web. Like, I can go from idea to conception super quick. The latest, actually, so funny, the latest thing that I did that was like that was I do a daily podcast called The Year of Tea. Okay. Where every day I review a different tea. It's a podcast. It's like each episode is less than five minutes. Because I have a huge tea collection. And I know that I haven't drank every tea in my collection. I know there were times where I just bought some tea, chucked it in my tea cabinet, and just kept it moving. And I was like in the shower maybe like two days before New Year's thinking, I should do a podcast and go through all my tea. That's awesome. And like I bought the domain and because like in my mind, I had already thought of the logo, thought of the colors, thought of the like the way the show should go and everything like quick, 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 quick. I didn't have to stop and think about, well, what if I do X, Y, Z? I was like, I just need to sit down and launch it. And I think within probably about like five or six hours, I had... The logo was done. The cover art was done. I found music. I recorded an intro and outro. I already recorded the first like seven episodes of it and, you know, went ahead and started getting it up so it could launch on January 1st. And like right now it's we're recording. It's March 27th, but this is going to air in April. It's still going like I'll be at probably 100 T's by the time this airs. I've still got a 200 something more to go. That's awesome. <laughs> now that I think about it. But like. I can just sit down and if I have an idea, I can 
kind of make it happen. And there's still ideas that I have that just haven't seen the light of day just yet. Mm-hmm. So those are sort of coming up in the in the future. But yeah, like everyone that knows me knows that I am usually always working. That's awesome. At any given time, like what are you doing? I'm working. I'm working. You working? Yeah, I'm working this weekend. Like I'm always working. I mean, I take you know, I take time off. You know, self care is important. But I feel like there's so much that I want to do, mm-hmm. and you know, I can't be. I just can't lie still and not do it. Right. Like even when I started Revision Path, Revision Path is an idea that I've had woo, since like 2006 or so, and I really only had the bandwidth to start doing it until 2013, and then I you know, started it up. It was just uh, print interviews, like long form, like 2000 word interviews. And then eventually I switched it to a podcast and quickly got on a good system for cranking out podcasts every week. And so now it's, it's two years in, it's still going, you know, pretty strong. And now it's just like, okay, well, what's the next step? Because the podcast, the way that the the way that I've got it set up, like it can, the podcast can keep going, but I'm thinking, what is the next step after this? Like, does it become a conference? Does it become meetups? Like I've already started doing some speaking. Like I spoke at South by Southwest. That was sort of an offshoot of what I do with Revision Path. It was a presentation called Where Are the Black Designers? So I'm thinking like, well, what are ways that we could kind of sort of move this forward? So I've kind of started dipping my toe into advocacy with uh, AIGA to advocate for the cause of more multicultural designers in the design industry, particularly black designers, because I'm a black designer. Because in the design media that we see reflected back to us in podcasts and conferences and blogs and magazines, books, it's very, very white. Yeah. Mostly white men. And you really do not see a bunch of people of color. And people will ask me, like, find so many people. I'm like, we're out here. You don't see us. We're out here. We are here. Like, there's there's no denying that there are black designers out there. So, Well, I would say... Um Listening to your podcast and kind of the message you have and, and what you do, I could definitely see it as a conference. You know, sure, it would start as a meetup, but I could definitely see you doing something like that because, you know, it matters. And I think it's very motivating, you know, as a black person to see, to hear all these well-spoken people come on this podcast, you know, and it's just, you know, like you said, where are they? Like, I've never met a person like this, you know, like, where are they? Because it's very inspiring and um, it's just a good message that you send. Well, if there are any companies out there listening that want to sponsor, hit me up information on the website i would be i've thought about that i've even thought of even just doing something smaller and local like event planning is not my thing i've never done it i feel like there's a lot that has to go well, into let me it. ask you this the next step whatever it is whether it's a conference like what's like why not what's holding you back right now or what are you waiting for right now time is holding me back right now i have two podcasts i've got my business i also teach and i speak so those, like, there's only so many hours in the day right now. So that's kind of what's holding me back right now is I've got so many other commitments that I haven't really put forth that effort into doing something like that. But Are there any people uh, locally, that could, like at a meetup, that could help you co-organize it or help you run it? Probably. I think so. I'd have to really, I'd have to put forth that effort to do that. It's kind of been, like I said, the event thing has been, in the back of my mind, but I certainly would like to do something around this, this cause. Cause I know that there are black designers out there and I feel like the overwhelming conversation around diversity is mostly in technology, which is not a bad thing, but it does neglect, you know, design and design is a very important part of all of our daily lives. So yeah, well, if- there are people that I can talk to about it, just trying to get my time and everything's kind of situated so I can do that. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, if you do something in the next two years, um, I'm about five hours away. I'll make the drive, you know, just just hit me up. Okay. All right. Absolutely. Well, man, Gabriel Mays, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I really like what you're doing with Just Add Content. I think that's a great, great idea. If you decide to open it up and, and try to get designers involved with it in some sort of way, whether it's affiliates or something like that, Definitely let me know. I would be interested in doing it because, like I said, I have so many designs kind of just laying around. I haven't done anything with. But like you said, for those smaller clients that are just looking for that kind of first website, that starter website or whatever, or not looking for a big, huge thing, you know, just that content can provide that. So thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I really do appreciate well, it. Thank you, Maurice. I really appreciate you having me.
And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Gabriel Mays and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Gabriel and Just Add Content through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks as always to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They've got great reporting, autoresponder features. Like I said, they have that free course on Skillshare. And once you sign up and sort of get everything going, you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for absolutely free. No contracts, no credit card required. Check them out today at MailChimp.com. Hover's the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code SPREADLOVE at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday, and also check out that April Big Bundle that is going to go off sale tomorrow. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, They See Me Growing, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a rating and a review. It really helps get new listeners. It helps more people find out about the show as we move up the rankings. If there's nothing else that you can do to help out Revision Path, this is what you can do. Those rankings mean a lot. So please leave a review. I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 Media Project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate. Show your support. You can leave a tip in our tip jar. You can sponsor an upcoming episode. Or you can join at the $5 fist bump level and show your ongoing support every single month. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.